BJJ Matt Times. Today's podcast may be a little different. We most likely will dive into some jujitsu as we go through, but uh, Adrian and I have talked a lot about stoicism over the last couple of years, and we seem to read probably similar books, I think, most of the time, because we've talked about books that you've read and I've read, and then kind of looked at the two and go, oh, yeah, we're reading a lot of the same things and giving recommendations back and forth to each other. And I know we've talked several times about getting together just to have a conversation about what we've read and, and some of the meanings that we think are behind it and maybe what we think the author meant on on some of those. And and I think this is a, this is a good time for us to get together because a couple of things have happened recently. You know, it was end of year, new year. Some good things have happened to you at the end of the year or with you. Yeah. And, and and you can elaborate on that. So, hey, how, how did your end of year go? End of 2023 was was good for jiu-jitsu-wise, you know, talking about jiu-jitsu. Um, I got my purple belt, which was really exciting. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, thank it's you. Legit, I'm super man. stoked. Um, it's, it's like a whole nother path journey you know it's been on my mind for a while but for me belts always haven't really been a you know a personal like hindrance or you know like my main goal I just love training so much like whatever comes comes and so I think as I've been progressing and through time I got my pearl belt and I'm really stoked um haven't had a chance to train with my pearl belt just yet been with the holidays and then uh, just coming off of a cold um had a chance to get into the gym but no, I'm super excited. Um, Purple belt, like I said, it's a whole new, whole new chapter jujitsu for me. Uh, I'm super excited, but I'm sure it'll all be the same as just continue to train, learn new stuff, implement stuff, and continue that journey. So, yeah, yeah. I think the the changing of the belts is uh, an interesting point because it signifies, like, it shows that a transition has been made, but it really feels no different than the day before, except the pressure you put on yourself now. Yeah, no, yeah. that's true. No, it, it is. It's just like a, like you said, a, a transition, but at the same time, it's like same as yesterday. It's, it's recognition of efforts past. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's, I think it's a, it, it's a, it's a, it has dual feelings for me. One is like, it's very exciting mm -hmm. to see all the work and, to know that the, all that work has led to this. Mm -hmm. And then also it's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute here now. Now I feel like I have all these expectations yeah. and, and representation. Like, oh, now, now i got to represent this belt. You no, know? definitely. I, I felt that like that feeling after I got promoted. I was like, okay, well, what does this mean for me? What should I be thinking about? How are the people going to see me? And I had a blue belt for a long time. And I didn't get a lot of stripes in between. And I think... I just never really expressed my concern for stripes per se and, you know, just continue to train and, you know, grow. But again, it's, it's a new, new chapter and thinking about what I have to show and how it's going to react and how I'm going to react. Um, but I'm super excited. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. Yeah. I, I think like, uh, we, when we talk about the stripes and the belts mm -hmm. that for a lot of us that have been training for a long time, it's more about the community yeah, and the, the, the jujitsu itself than the recognition. Uh, it still plays a point in it and it's not, and it's warranted when it happens, but, but I still think that it's, uh, it's one of those things that we, we, tend to focus on less and focus on the moves and the technique more and then the growth within jujitsu more than the actual recognition piece. Does that make sense? Yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, yeah. now that I'm a purple belt, I don't have to be thinking about trying to get my purple belt. I already got it. So mm -hmm. now it's just like, get out there and roll. Yeah. And you don't have to think about warm-ups anymore either. Uh, I think I, I st I'm, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm, how would I say? I'm, I'm young, but I am old at the same time, and so warm-ups are very important to me. So I will still show up to warm-ups, and yeah, because if I don't, I I'll, I'll, I'll definitely feel it. Me too, same thing. I do warm-ups before the warm-ups, <laughs> so yeah. I don't get injured during the warm-ups. Yep. Yeah, same thing. I always like show up 10 minutes early to stretch out a little bit, I'm trying to keep that movement. I, I know for me, stretching my quads and my abductors mm -hmm. are like key for being able to move once I get out there and, and also glutes and hamstrings, yeah. but like the, those two, the quads and the, and the abductors right off the bat are something that I have to get into. No, I think everybody's like, you should know your body and yeah. especially training for me, at least this long, you know where your weaknesses are. 
Um, for me, it's my back and uh, definitely stretching the hams, stretching, you know, the front of the hips, um, you know, and just kind of getting limber. And um, I've been doing a lot of, uh, I think called sun salutations is kind of the context, but, you know, just kind of stretch out the hams, the calves, you know, kind of do some butterfly stretches, warm up the hips, because um, if you don't, you'll feel it. Yeah. Got to stretch. Yep, yep. Before we get kicked off here, mm-hmm. so introduce yourself, Adrian. Yeah, um, my name's Adrian. Um, I've been training jiu-jitsu for probably going on seven, eight years now. Uh, just got my purple belt from Jake. I feel like I'm just a regular guy who tries to get after it when I can, um, trying to learn all the time, always uh, trying to sharpen, sharpen up. Yeah, add some more tools to my tool belt, you know, but that's that's who I am. Awesome, awesome. So when we get started here, uh, uh, some of the topics, and this is what I was thinking about today. Yeah. Because I, I was reading through 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 uh, meditations, Marcus Aurelius meditations, and I think that that was a book that you and I talked about quite a bit. And I also read through the Daily Stoic every day, which is a combination of different stoic philosophy yeah at least to my knowledge what it is because i'm not going to say i'm well versed in any of this i'm just i just read it regularly and try to figure out how it applies to me and what i'm doing yeah and, and something that that i was reading in the rereading i should say that I, I had highlighted from the first time i went through meditations was like supporters of major schools mm-hmm. and and this was talking about like cynics stoics uh platonists and their support for major schools and and the preferred focal points of those. And I think this applies to also not just regular or traditional education, but also to even martial arts. Because what it, what it talks about is like preferred fo- uh, in those schools, preferring to focus on points they share rather than those that separated them. And I think that's key not only for jujitsu, but life in general is focusing more on commonality than the things that separate us no definitely a commonality i think a lot of people get so one-sided but there's so much overlapping like you said in the stoics they talked about different types of schools different philosophies back in the day i think it was 80 is kind of the time frame for some of the stoic stuff but um yeah overlapping you know and you think of martial arts there's this overlap you know you look at the ufc now you know it's not only just jujitsu it's not just i guess you could say kickboxing and boxing uh, Muay Thai, it's an overlap, judo, you have to know all of these things and focus on the com- commonalities because when you come to a sport or a competition or, a, you know, UFC fight, you got to be well-rounded. Um, it's the same thing as in life. You got to be well-rounded. You can't just have one philosophy on something. You have to look at it from, from different angles. Um, so I think, yeah, that commonality is, is a is a tight thread in stoicism. Um, and it's, it's in a lot of things. And I think unfortunately a lot of people don't see it that way. They, they think of it as one way. So yeah, no, it's a good little concept. Yeah. And I was thinking like when, when I was thinking about that passage, I think there's a, there's a difference between focusing on shared commonality rather than what separates people. And I, I believe there's, there's a distinct difference between focusing on differences and what separates you. And what I mean by that is, is so when we judo and jujitsu, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're different. Yep. They're common in martial arts and there are similar moves between both that I think you can focus on between the two, but the differences between them, when you talk about the differences between them, it helps mold both sides. If you understand the differences and you use them to build a like a better defensive game or a better offensive game, how we do judo moves for takedowns mm-hmm. and then focus on jujitsu after that. It's a combination of the two. So we understand the differences and also the good points that they both share. Yeah. I don't know. That's just what I was thinking about this morning. Yeah, when no, I was no. Looking at that. So um, anyway, on to the next chief task. <laughs> yeah, well, I think uh, one of the cool things, um, we've been talking about this for a while. Um, I think it's been over a year and we've kind of been, you know, poking at each other like, oh, we should sit down and talk some stoicism, you know, just the books that we've read. And for me, for books, um, super odd. I didn't start reading books till I was like 25. Like I got hit in the face with like a bag of bricks. I was like, why am I not reading? 
here's all this stuff I want to learn. And it's just like, it's in books. Like, why learn the hard way when you could just reference something? And so that kind of kicked off for me for books. And as I've been reading some stuff that the last maybe two or three years is some of the Stoicism, the Meditation of Marcus Aurelius, um, and then also the Daily Stoic. Um, I have it digital, but same thing. I, I read it daily, the Daily Stoic, more often. Uh, meditations, I kind of, I read it a couple times, and now and again I'll pick it up out of my bag and just kind of pick up a section and, and just kind of read it, and then I think about, well, where am I at and how does that apply to me? Also, you know, reading more of just growth, you know, and it, for me, I, I love to learn stuff. So I read fiction, you know, now and again, but nonfiction is kind of where I enjoy. And so I always want to hear some truth, you know, some autobiographies, some memoirs and personal accounts. Um, Cause I don't want to learn the hard way. I'd rather read someone who wrote about it and go, how do they apply it? how do they get through it? And then where am I at? And how can I apply that concept or not apply that concept? I started reading much more later in life. Like yeah. I, I read in school yep, when yep. I was younger and then there was this whole work period of the <laughs> grind and yeah. making my daily, uh, daily, you know, try, trying to get there and, and just daily make it to work, get everything going. And so focused on other things rather than focus on, Hey, how do I change my mindset? How do I control what I'm doing? Um, rather than letting time control me. So, I think I want to say I didn't really start actively reading regularly again mm-hmm. until, man, I, I can't even remember what age exactly what I was at. But I remember I watched a TV show that mm-hmm. was based on a book. And I was like, you know what? I want to read that book. Yeah. And so I read the book. And then after that, I started reading some more history-related items. Mm-hmm. And those history-related items... Uh, led me to a podcast, Art of Manliness. Not you familiar. that one? No, it's, not uh, familiar. And then that podcast led me to Ryan Holiday. And then it just started moving around from there to other ones. And, and some of the book recommendations that I got from those podcasts is what started me even more extensively down the reading path, even to the point where it was like, hey, cutting cable and because I'm not watching TV yeah. as much anymore because I'm spending more time reading, more time studying. Uh, I still have Netflix, though. So mm. I, I got to get deep in the Netflix every once in a while. So it, it, that whole course for me is kind of what changed that path. And I, uh, it, it's interesting when I go into the small library now and think about like the when I bought those books and what I was studying about and how different books led to different lines of thought and yeah. reading, going back and reading just uh, – some of the leadership books and the different styles of leadership in there that helped me with work. Yeah. It's just no, all, um, all over the place. I think one of my favorite books is leadership books and yeah. there's so many different types of leadership books. Um, and you may not think about it, but you know, the meditation Marcus really is kind of a leadership book uh, of a self-reflection, but I kind of feel like went down the same path. You know, you, you kind of read one book and then you read another book and then that book led you to another book. And then you go through some podcasts and those podcasts mention authors and I think one of the cool thing about podcasts is when you can get a podcast from a book that just came out an author, they're going to tell you like the, the best of the best of that book they just wrote in that 30 minutes of hour podcast. So you get like the highlights that they feel is the most strongest. And so that kind of pulls you in and, you know, I feel like it's, it's your, your decision, your choice to go, I want to dig into that more. You know, there's lots of things like that in life where something catches your eye or something grabs you and you gravitate towards it to, to either learn more about it or be aware of that item. And keeping the tread together with jujitsu, it's kind of the same thing where you see someone doing a move or during one of the lessons you you add something that you didn't know before and then you continue to go down that path. You know, like if it's something in guard, you continue to to go, okay, how do I expand on that? How do I expand on that? And it's all connected, um, oddly enough. But yeah, no, definitely, I think one of my favorite sayings about reading books is if you can get yourself to read something you enjoy, you'll eventually get to the stuff you don't enjoy. Um, It's a habit. And, you know, a lot of people get kind of on the other end of it where they start reading stuff they don't want to read, and then you're just not going to like it. You know, but if you... And open up a, a book about a movie you you or a show you watched, read the book, you know, or you know, have some fun with it. Where it's like, 
I read a book before I watched the movie, whether it's Harry Potter. I think for me, when one that flew over the cuckoo's nest, you know, I, I read that book, obviously many years after I watched the movie, but I reread the book and then I went and watched the movie and I was like, oh, here's the contrasts, you know, and so I was, it was kind of a game for me. With, with the books, like when you get to something mm-hmm. that you have, have, you've started reading it with the intent of going, you know, from page to page, yeah. front, front to back. And you get partway through it and you're like, hey, I'm not interested in this anymore. Do you power through it or do you just stop it? For me, I set it aside. Um, it's like if it's not grabbing you and it's not you know, catching you, it's like why? I mean, yeah, you could buckle down and read it. Um, and for me, I think at the beginning you get that, that way. Like you're just like, I'm going to power through and read this book. But you're limited on time. Like why would you waste your time on a book that's just not grabbing you? And I've got a couple books where I've, I've set them down. You know, it's like, hey, tag it, put it away. I'll come back to it later. I haven't come across too many books like that, but I have. You know, some books are, you know, very dry. They're very complicated, and you go through them, and you're just like, man, I'm just not, I'm not picking up what they're writing down. And so, I've, I've definitely put books down. Have you, have you done that before? Or do you power oh, yeah. through it, or it's, it's a combination of both? But I think most of the time, uh, well, I know most of the time for me, I, I, I do power through them, but not in the sense of I'm just focusing on that one book, what I'll do is I will start another book that I'm interested in and then set a page number mm-hmm. that I'm going to get to on the other book. Generally it's 10 pages. Cause okay. I think I can get through that in about 20, 30 minutes yeah. depending on, on timing of it. And what I'll do is I'll read through what I'm going to read on the book that I'm currently interested in. And then I will go back to the other one and do like page 70 through 80 okay, or 70 through 79 and then pick up at 80 yeah. and then 80 through 89. And I'll do it that way. And that keeps me moving through it because sometimes I lose focus on why I picked that book up originally to begin with. And on occasion, I'll find it as I continue reading. No. Yeah, definitely. It's like you, yeah, I could, I could see that. And that's a good way to kind of target a book is to put a target on, I'm going to read to this page. And then when I'm done with that page, go to the other book. Um, when I first started reading a lot, I didn't, do multiple books, but lately, the last two and a half years, I have been doing multiple books. Um, and I've done that where it's like, I'm just at a stopping point. I'm going to put this book down. I'm going to tag it. Um, I might try that tagging like, hey, get to this page specifically in a book and then go back to the other book. Because a lot of times I'm just like, I'm having fun in this book, so I'm going to keep reading it. I'm not going to go back to the other one. And like, I'll tell you the one one that I uh, struggled with a little bit was Seneca. Okay. Uh, letters, uh, letters. I think letters from Seneca. Letters from Seneca. Yeah. yeah. That that one. As I got probably a little more than halfway through it, yeah. I was like, okay, this these letters are getting long, and some of them kind of dry. To me, they were, and but I still learned from them. Right. But it was just challenging for me to get through. I think about halfway through that one, and, and you know, and it's like little things that you pick up in there. Like one section here is like it's because nothing is clear. And they rely on the most uncertain guide, common opinion. Mm-hmm. That one little excerpt. And it's funny because it's actually in Daily Stoic too. Yeah. But I remember that from the book. And, and I'm sitting here going like, you know. Say it one more time. Uh, it's because nothing is clear and they rely on the most uncertain guide, common opinion. Mm-hmm. So so like sitting here and relying basically on the common opinion of others rather than facts. And and I sit there and I think about that going like, hey, that's that's a good thing to think about because I think all of us get caught up in sometimes the, the banter, the gossip, mm-hmm. the, the talk going around and believing it as if it's true. Right. And, and, and that's something that all of us as humans are susceptible to. Oh, for sure. Common opinion or yeah. popular opinion as right. maybe we would call it today. And, and, and so just thinking about that little excerpt that I got out of that and thinking how that applies is, is not so much as like a, a learning, but something to be careful of and to watch out for, to being guided by common opinion rather than, something that you've looked at and evaluated. No, I think there's definitely lots of input um, from other outlets, um, especially in today's age with all social media. People get inspired by so much and kind of it's like over-inspiration and then you kind of forget what you wanted to do because you're so inspired and you forget what you wanted to do and, you know, next thing you're doing something different when it's like if you stay on your own path, do it for yourself, not for somebody else. Good way to think about it. This is something I wanted to talk to you yeah. about. Okay. Cause, cause this has been, as I, as I got to the end of last year, I was yeah. reading ahead on some things. Um, and this is from Epictetus discourses. Okay. And I haven't read all 
of Epictetus yeah. in, in the discourses. Actually, I don't even have a copy of it. I just have excerpts of it yeah, from yeah. Daily Stoic and, and just pulling things online because I noticed it's referenced not only in the Daily Stoic, but it's also referenced in Meditations. Yeah, a lot. So I want to read through that book um, as well, but I'm, I'm looking for a certain copy that has like the format similar to the Gregory Hayes yeah, version no, one, yeah. that has like your books and your, your numbers. So mm-hmm. you can reference back and forth, like, which we'll probably do be doing at some point yeah. here referencing, but okay. So this is, uh, this is something that I, I shouldn't, I know you're supposed to read it day of and think about it, but I read ahead of this in December and I actually put it on my screensaver to help me remember yeah. like a version of this. And so what it is, is from Epictetus is the chief task in life is simply this to identify and separate matters that I can say clearly to myself, which are externals, not under my control. So, so clearly identifying things that are not within my control and which have to do with the choices I actually control. Mm-hmm. Where do I look? There's some more to that, but I'll just leave it with where do I look? Not to uncontrollable externals, but within myself to the choices that are my own. So mm-hmm. people always say control what you control. Right. But I, I looked at that and I read it and I thought about like, hey, as there, there was a lot that we couldn't control over the last few years mm-hmm. or we had limited control on. And I think we're pulling away from that more and more. And so when I was thinking about how I'm going to go into this year with focusing my plans for business and my plans for how I'm going to con- conduct like some of the things that my personal goals is, yeah. is focus on the items I control and don't throw effort after foolishness, which I believe are the things that I cannot control. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and also with that, there's another excerpt that I don't have with me here. I wish it did, but it's about establishing a goal finding the authoritative literature, understanding it, and then communicating what the facts of the situation are. Not my feelings, but the facts. Man, I, I hate saying the word facts because <laughs> it sounds like F-A-X when I say it, not F-A-C-T-S. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I think um, in, in that regard, um, you know, controlling what you can control. And I think there's lots of aspects in life, in jujitsu. Well, there's things I have to control, you know. So, so last year, I had a few injuries last year, and I I could have stepped off the mat mm-hmm. and just walked away for a month or six weeks, whatever, to injured up. And I said, hey, I know the injury's out of my control, and 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 actually, I didn't know this at the time, but this is what my my path was going. I know the injury's out of my control, but I know I can still do some things. Right. If I select the the right partner. Yeah. To train with who understands my limitations right now, I can still do things. Yeah. And just because I can't, let's say, like like when my hip flexor was messed up, like, yeah, I remember a little bit. Just because I can't, you know, do certain moves to that side or can't train it all doesn't mean train it all in jujitsu doesn't mean I can't lift at the gym. I can't do upper water, body work to do things that are still getting to my goal. So it's, it's focus on what you can do, not what you can't do. And that helps you achieve a greater goal. Yeah, no, I think um, a lot of times people get too frustrated with things they can't control and they let it bring them down. It it puts them off put. Um, I think a lot of times more in the work environment where sometimes your hands are tied. You're like, here's here's the rules of the game. Here's what you have to get done. Go get it done. And a lot of times people just, you know, get frustrated with that and they throw their hands up or they make it more difficult than they have to. And you think about like leadership books, um, you know, I think both of us are big fans of Chaco, um, extreme ownership. It's like, okay, uh, my hands are tied. I can't do that, but I still have these other, other options, um, that I can implement or impl- or apply to make this work. Like you said, with your, your hip flexor, yeah, I can't really do a lot of stuff with my right side, but I still got my left side. If I be mindful of those barriers or those boundaries, I can still progress. I could still learn and get the job done, you know, in the picture of jiu-jitsu, train in the picture of work, get the job done, get the task done with those limitations. And I think a lot of the stoicism for me, at least makes me think of that. Like there's going to be limitations. You're not going to have a perfect, perfect world. You're not going to have a perfect situation. I forget kind of the exact quote for it but there's two handles on every pitcher and you decide which handle you want to pick the handle that can hold the pitcher or the handle that's not going to hold the pitcher maybe from Seneca or Epictetus I 
like I said, I'm, I agree with the same as you. I'm not like a stoic, you know, nerd, but I read it daily and just reflect on it, like looking in the mirror. How am I in the same situation? Yeah. And, and I think as we like, I'll talk about two things here, the business yeah. piece of getting around what you control and you can't control. And then also like the stoicism itself, reading it like, and I'll start with that, like the stoicism piece. I read this stuff, but I claim I, I do not claim to have an understanding of it. I don't think I, I'm just will. saying like, these are my thoughts yeah. surrounding it, but I don't know if I'm right or if I'm wrong. And I'm okay. I'm okay with that. I'm just yeah. trying to, uh, to be a better person. Yeah. And I'm trying to like, I guess leave things better than I found them. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's it, that, that's what I'm trying to do. And I know I slip up oh, and, and sure. I know, I, and I know I make mistakes and I know I don't always live by the code I try to live by. Uh, Cause I'm human just right. like, like everyone else, but I, but I try and I keep reflecting back through these readings to see if I can become better. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I think I apply it the same way as like, I read them, read this stuff to be able to reflect and acknowledge, which I think is a hard part for a lot of people, humility of, oh, I'm on this other side of this concept, um, or I'm in the same boat in Marcus Meditations. He was struggling with this, and this is why he wrote this, to remind himself what he needed to do. And so I reflect on this, the same way you do, of like, hey, this is bugging me, or you know what, I need to kind of take a step back, detach and reassess the situation, come back in it with a different set of, of eyes or perspective or perception. And there's lots of times where you're just like, I, I wish I could do that right now in that manner, but I can't. I'm going to have to, you know, come at it sideways or, you know, not from a, not from my code, as you would say, but, you know, get the job done. And there's always gonna be rules that you unfortunately have to break. I think there's going to be a little mix of that in there. And, and so when we talk about business doing control, in non-control. Yeah. I, I think uh, I, I have this test that I evaluate things on and that I try to keep in balance. And I don't know if it's right, wrong, or where it stands with it, but I, I look at uh, four things with it. Mm -hmm. when, when I'm tasked with something and I start to be negative about it, I look at it and, and I ask myself, okay, is this unethical? Is what I'm doing unethical, immoral, illegal? And does it take from my family? And, and I'd use the take from my family piece because of the time involved. Sometimes uh, the time involved with tasks in work that create overtime or extra hours or mm -hmm. extra days worked. And so I add that fourth piece mm -hmm. in there as well. I think the ethics of what you're doing are always a factor. Yeah. The morality of what you're doing, you know, the legality always because yeah. you, know, you don't want to end up in jail. And then also like, Hey, it, is if you're, if doing this task, if it takes you away from the reason you're at work, which mm -hmm. is generally speaking to provide for your family and live life, then what good is the task? If you can't, if you can't spend the time with your family, like, like I, I look at that regularly with not only me, but how I lead my team as well. Um, so that doesn't, anyway, that's my thoughts on thinking about like evaluating control, what you can control and looking at basically controllables and uncontrollables. Right. Yeah. So, so when we're talking about uh, codes, right? Yeah. In 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 meditations, chat, uh, since we were talking about book one earlier, yeah, yeah. yeah. book one, uh, section five, on that, he says, uh, the, the last sentence in that is to do my own work, mind my own business, and have no time for slanderers. Mm -hmm. And I and I noticed in 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 some of the Stoic talks and i don't even know if stoic is the right term for it but between epictetus seneca let's call them philosophers yeah philosophers okay. um they talk a lot about talking ill of others mm -hmm. and i think all of us have this problem from time to time we get yeah. caught up in things and we and we we talk bad of others talk bad of ourselves yeah. and it, it's something that i think all of us try to pull away from the drama yeah the drama of, uh, i guess is what we refer to it now but it's so easy to get caught up in yeah it definitely you, you see it everywhere you see it even on tv shows like the 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 what, what are they called the uh the, the real life TV yeah, shows. reality TV shows. Reality TV shows. Yeah. It's, it's, it seems to be purely based on the drama and the back and forth and like, hey, what's Sam doing? What's Tom doing? Yeah. What's Wally doing? And so so I think like doing my own work, minding my own business and having no time for slanderers, which comes into the not to waste time on nonsense. Yeah, no, I, I think that's when it comes to wasting time on nonsense. And I think it's so easy in today's age to get wrapped up in the gossip you know, in the slander, and it's so easy to talk somebody down, um, you know, but sometimes you don't know what that person's going through or 
what they're dealing with and, and maybe they're just having a bad day. But I think it's very unfortunate that a lot of people don't have their own code or mind their own business um, and want to jump on the train of how do I gossip about somebody. I think one of the things I always thought about that in regards to gossip or slandering somebody, for me in the business world, there's all kinds of different atmospheres and different, you know, politics and different way people act and, you know, details and personalities. And unfortunately, I think a lot of times on the work side of it, people gravitate to emphasizing that stuff. Um, and I think one of the things I've always looked at from philosopher standpoint is try to avoid getting into that. And that's, it's hard sometimes. Sometimes you get wrapped up in a conversation about somebody who maybe isn't doing very good and, you know, you acknowledge that, you know, the truth, hey, that person is struggling or not doing what they need to do, but not not putting more, you know, wood into the fire to make it worse. I think one of the things I've, I've been really good about personally, and I think it's one of my codes, is not talk negative about people. Keep things positive. Be the the middle person of the situation and not gravitate towards one person's side versus another person's side. And I think from a business standpoint, you know, working with teams, you have people who have conflicts and you don't want to pick a side, but you need to be in the middle and you need to be able to figure out how do we, how do we get past this? You know, yes, Johnny and Susan or Tom and Frank are having issues. How do we get past this? Uh, Look, we all have a job to do. Um, Let's get it done. Let's put, you know, bygones aside and let's get the job done. Like it's an interesting thing to think about. Like how do you remove a biased opinion in a situation remain neutral and keep that neutrality as more information evolves. So when you have two parties say at work mm-hmm. who are having some sort of issue with each other, how, how do you speak candidly? Mm-hmm. How do you establish facts mm-hmm. and distribute? And, and then when, when the facts are blurred with feeling, yeah. how do you get those feelings communicated properly in, in like, because I have a situation, I have situations where people just walk in and they're like, well, this person sucks. Mm-hmm. Well, why do you feel that way? Why yeah. do you feel that they suck? Because sometimes behind that is some real information, right? Like, or a repetitive issue. So, so I work in, in, in more like technical repair. Yeah. And I think you do as well, right? Like, like you work like, to- I'm in manufacturing, but yeah. you know, my career has been management yeah. and working with different groups and team members and, you know, different departments yeah. uh, and making it all come together. Yeah. And so, so like, like when we look at somebody saying, well, this person sucks and you ask like, well, why do they suck? Mm-hmm. And, or, and, and, and you, you find like, Hey, well, when this person is coming behind them at a job site, they're seeing the same issue reoccur. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, okay, well, rather than say they suck, why don't we be a little more constructive about this and say, Hey, I'm noticing when I'm going behind you, mm-hmm. um, at some of the jobs, I'm seeing the same, the same ratio because for us, it'd be like with uh, water dynamics and yeah. some changes with that, but it'd be, uh, I'm seeing the same ratio off each time is your tool calibrated mm-hmm. or are you believing that the measure is different than what we actually need it to be? And I have found that like some guys coming in with the pressures, mm-hmm. like uh, our static pressures are generally set at 110 PSI on a lot of our machinery. Mm-hmm. And you'll have guys come in and you'll be sitting there and it's the, the primary is set at 65. Mm. Well, that's what the secondary is supposed to be. So it, it's like, okay, they just have confusion between the primary and secondary. Yeah. And it, once you establish that train, yeah. which we've already gone through in training, but yeah. sometimes Get People need refreshers. To, you gotta you gotta have refreshers. You have to reiterate, especially when they don't touch them every day. Right. So I think like once you get past the you suck, mm-hmm. and you start having a candid conversation with actual data behind it, you can maybe resolve something between two people. And I think that's one of the hardest things to do. Is rather than, I think one of the hardest things to do is when you have a grievance such as that to talk to the person directly. And mm-hmm. people are like, oh no, it's easy. You just walk up to them and like. Usually I hear that from people who don't have the conversations. Right. It's, Easier said than done. Yes. Because uh, the way you approach it has a lot to do with how they respond. Because yeah. if, if you approach these things and, and, you're, and you're the way you say it. So we're at jujitsu, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and you walk up to somebody and you go, you're doing that wrong. Mm-hmm. If you walk up and say you're doing that wrong versus walk up and say, hey, try placing your left hand on the shoulder. Mm-hmm. 
it's received differently. One is defensive, one is constructive. Yeah. Does that not, make sense? Yeah, no, yeah. definitely. I, I've always thought about it. It's like, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times when there is arguments or, you know, discrepancies between two different people, a lot of times you start off with, okay, tell me how you're feeling. You get through the feelings. Okay, now we're through the feelings. Okay, so what are the facts? What What's going on? You know, measurements aren't right. Communication's not there. Okay, well, did you let that person know what communications you're not getting or what communications you expected? And then, you know, a lot of times it's like, well, that's their job. Well, yes, but it's also your job to communicate when something is off. And if you come into a, a project and the measurements are off, you know, acknowledge it and say, hey, I noticed this measurement's off. You know, is there anything upstream that could be causing this? You know, hey, operator, are you familiar with, you know, this results? It looks like we're under under our percentage. Is your equipment calibrated? Did you know that was the standard? Um, and a lot of times people forget stuff. And I work with a lot of procedures, SOPs. Um, and a lot of times you have to come back to it. It's like I'm not attacking or saying that the person is wrong. The procedures are not being followed or they're not being they're not known. And so I think one of the perks I've learned over the years is procedures are very, very important. And, and there's, there's some struggles to them. But let's document what we need to do and do what we said we're going to do. And sometimes you're like, oh, shoot, I didn't know that was actually a primary number. I thought that was a secondary number. So I was just applying the secondary. And none the wiser, you keep on moving forward. Or, oh, I didn't know that was the type of information you wanted, so I didn't give it to you. And sometimes it's communicating forwards and backwards of, hey, you shared some information. It was helpful, but it would have been even more helpful if you could take the extra time just to add a little bit more of, of this specifically in this scenario. You know, if you had a big report and, you know, at the end of the report is your percentages for the end of phase one, you know, hey, can you bring that to the top of the report? You know, when person two comes in, that should be the first thing they see. Oh, tools were calibrated, percentages was set at this, you know, and that way you're not wasting your time going into step two and be like, oh, shoot that wasn't done right, you know, and I think for me in the manufacturing world, because that's what I do, is there's lots of, you know, manufacturing principles, um, just like there's jujitsu principles and basics that need to be followed down the line. And, you know, if you get something incorrectly made in phase one, and it goes to phase two, it kind of compounds. But if you don't have the right systems in place to catch the incorrections in phase two, it ends up all within the line done incorrectly and sometimes you can correct it and fix it you know in manufacturing you know there's repairs or rework but there are some things that can't be reworked and they gotta be scrapped um you know but yeah that personality of finding an issue and like how do we figure out what's going on and a lot of people say oh I'll just go talk to that person like you said it's not always that easy because everybody perceives things differently you can go to somebody like you said and say hey you gave us the wrong you didn't do the, your job right on phase one Phase two is struggling now. You could go, hey, we didn't get good readings on phase one. Phase two is is having a hard time getting everything dialed in. They're having to pick up the slack. Is there something on your end that you are aware of that needs to be communicated? When I when I think about the communication piece, there, there's this one, and, and I'm going to change it up. And so I, I, I believe I know the actual quote, but I won't actually quote it because I think under most circumstances, it needs to be softened a little bit, yeah. but uh, do not attribute to malice, which you can attribute to not knowing. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it's actually uh, worded as attribute to ignorance mm-hmm. or stupidity or something. But like, um, do not attribute to malice, which you can attribute to, or which can be attributed to not knowing. And so what I, what I think about that with that is, is so oftentimes when we run into these situations where something is wrong and you believe it to be done by another person, you think that it was done with intent mm-hmm. to be wrong. And sometimes it's just because they didn't know. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's something that like as managers, you, yeah. I like it's something that I think about often. Like, why did it occur? Did it occur because they're like, Hey, I just want to get one over on you. Or is it because I just didn't know? Right. Or, I didn't think about that or I was tired or I had already been on duty 10 hours Mm -hmm. and you know, there's a variety of reasons. I got things going on at home and my mind isn't in the right place. All, all these things that come together and you don't really realize it until you ask the question. And also with asking those questions, the other person has to be receptive to unwelcome truths, I guess is how, uh, 
Marcus Aurelius would put it. In meditations, he like uh, uh, one of the things that I had highlighted in book one was uh, to hear unwelcome truths. And, and what I took from that was, is sometimes that criticism, uh, you have to be willing to step back and take and reflect on yourself when you're hearing it from someone else. Um, not saying that they're right or wrong, what they're saying, but it's worth listening to because you've, sometimes you've created a situation that, 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 uh, makes somebody feel that as if you were conducting yourself in a, you know, and make it maybe a negative manner. And so sometimes you, in, in, and sometimes you actually did do something wrong. Uh, and so you have to be. Uh, able to hear those no definitely um i like the malice part and uh i think when you say that 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 quote like you said you kind of read it a little bit one of my mentors book mentors um is jim collins and he has several books about business and uh good to great and how the mighty fell and uh he has a new one called beyond entrepreneurship 2.0 but jim collins talks a lot about i think it's called the trust wager and you should, at least, there's two ways you could see it. Either you lean on the regard of you trust somebody, or you start with, I don't trust somebody yet. They got to earn their trust. If you think people are always out to get you or negative, and I think in problems that comes up a lot, especially when it's repetitive problems with somebody, it's like, this person does this every time. They're always doing that. They're always missing, you know, the, the pressures on phase two. And, and I, I hate using solidified language such as always mm -hmm. never yeah um every time yeah i hate using language like that because it's just so it isn't every time it is or in most circumstances it isn't every time it yeah. isn't always it isn't never. never you know you know who corrected me on that <laughs> who angela corrected me on that she goes you know you always say never and i'm like you just said always when i said always <laughs> no. <laughs> but she she called me out on it she said she said you, you know you use a lot of words like never always and i listened to that and i'm like wow I actually I do, and so I consciously try to avoid using that that uh, solidified language like mm -hmm. that because I don't want to back myself into the wall of mm -hmm. like this is always this is never yeah um, because it isn't right now there there yeah. is there is never never there's never always always yeah no definitely um, and I think a lot of people gravitate towards that where like when there's issues it, they go to they jump to conclusions this is always happening or. They never do this, and it's like, okay, well, wait a minute. Looks like it's only been the second time, and it sounds like you're kind of taking this personal. What do we need to do to solve this? And a lot of times, yeah, as managers or leaders, um, I think the good part about being detached from a problem, and we run into our own problems with other management members or leadership or the chain of command, but again, thinking of thinking philosophical <laughs> point of view is you take a step back and you go, okay, that's how I feel. I've got the feelings out of the way. Okay, what's really going on? Is this person really antagonizing me all the time? Is this person really out to get me? Probably not. They just didn't know you wanted certain information or they didn't understand that you didn't like getting that type of information or being told that way to do something. And I think as management, you learn how to deal with different personalities. You know, having a, a team, you understand who can who you got to be a little sensitive to, who you got to be direct with. They want like the hardcore, you know, here's punch in the face, here's what we need to do. Um, and there's some people who just need a little bit of reassurance, need a little bit of like, you know, let's let's walk through this. What do we need to do? Okay, we got to do X, we got to do Y, we got to do Z. Okay, you got it? Cool, I got it. Thanks for talking to me for two seconds. Um, you know, one of the things I think is also another good leadership is like the one-minute manager. I don't know if you've read that book. I have not. Oh, you should check it out. It's like a good, you know, I don't know, an hour, hour read, super short. But it's just like the fundamentals of like, how do you manage somebody without having to tell them what they need to do? And a lot of times, you know, management, you just need someone to bounce something off of. Hey, this is what's going on. This is what's struggling me, you know. And you're like, oh, did you think about reaching out to Susan? She's got all that type of information. She should be able to get to you pretty quick, and you should be able to get the answers you need. You, you know, you connect those dots uh, as management. Um, Being that intermediate mm -hmm. go-between is what a lot of it is. Yeah. It's, it's separating – uh, I, I have, we have multiple layers. I work in a pretty large corporation. So mm -hmm. it's uh, we have multiple layers of management where you have the field level, all the work, everything that creates our revenue happens at the field level. Right. Then you have us in the operation side who look at, uh, evaluate the metrics, yeah. look at what's needed for what the teams need on the ground 
to get the job done. And then you have the, the you know, the next level up there who basically manage managers. Yeah look at uh, analytics a lot maybe a lot more in depth than yeah. what we we do and also they're on like the planning side of the case what the future is and, and i can't remember the exact breakdown of it um that that we think like in corporate structure but you know you have the the i always call it the dreamers mm-hmm. the ones who come up with all the the stuff that the 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 team on the front line is going to do and then you have me and other people who are in this weird middle section who are the ones who actually have to create the plans of execution right? No, and definitely. how to get it. And, and so being that in-between person and understanding how to talk to maybe the executive and director levels and then how to translate that information down to the front line, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a task. Like understanding how to talk, uh, to, I say how to talk across the levels of management yeah. and also generational. Yeah. Okay. Because the there is a huge difference between teams who are 20 years old and teams who are 60 years old. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I talk about this. Uh, I, I, I talked to, this was years ago. I talked to a lady and I don't recall her name off the top of my head, but she was doing a talk called Managing Across the Generations. Mm-hmm. And it, it was very insightful. Yeah. And I talked to her a bit about my team and how it's different. The techno- technological base is different, which is not an absolute mm-hmm. because some of my best technological base technicians are on, on, on are some of our older team. Yeah. And, and like, it's, it's just all over, yeah. right? It's, it's just like, like all over. And so you would think that, you know, the, the younger generations would be more technologically savvy, but that's not always the case. No, it's not it, because I say it's a willingness to learn and a little bit of curiosity that makes the difference. No, it does. So, I think, yeah. Yeah. Having that willingness to learn and get better and being curious about what we're doing has a lot to do with success. Right. No. I, so two points I was thinking of when you talked about, you know, the different type of people you work with and the way that you communicate to those, you know, generations and especially being a, you said a dreamer person at the, high, the higher up of the, you know, what is it like 30,000 feet? You're looking down, seeing what's going on see what's moving on. See the squares in the circles. See the squares in the circles. And then you got the next team that's at 10,000 feet and they see, you know, they see the buildings and they see the, you know, baseball fields and they see the roads and then you got the ground guys guys at ground zero who are doing the work putting in the time you know doing the labor and i think from a management standpoint made me think of peter drucker um, the knowledge knowledge worker and the knowledge worker has to be able to implement plans come up with the execution and communicate it oh that sounds nice yeah this is nice dude i almost rode my bike today yeah i almost did and i was like i got my backpack and then i was like oh let's take the truck um but you know we're like we're like dogs Harley driving down the road. You're like look, you're like mine, mine, mine. <laughs> me, me, me. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the knowledge the knowledge worker. Um, and I've I've thought about this concept the last couple of years of of being the person who thinks outside the box. I won't be doing the task all the time, but I, I can if I will. If I need to, I will. Um, you know, I'll, I'll I'll bust out the tools and wrench on something. But you know, the goal is to figure out the plan, figure out how to be executed, um, and communicate the plan. Um, and I think as a, as a knowledge worker, that's the type of skills you got to be thinking about. And the willingness to learn, like you said earlier, there are some people who want to learn and grow on their own. And there are people who just want to come in and work and they're okay with direction. And you, you as the knowledge thinker have to go, okay, I have this employee who technologically – you know, they know enough, but they could know more. And you have these other people who are like, I just want to keep filling my glass of all this knowledge and get better and get better and get better. And they're going to pop up in every single generation, I feel. You might have someone in their 20s who's like, I just want to work. And you have someone in their 20s who's like, I want to work and learn. And you have someone in their 60s who's like, I just want to work. And there's someone in their 60s who's like, I want to work and learn to make my job easier. And so in the knowledge knowledge worker concept is, you know, how do you apply those things? You know, thinking about time management, thinking about what you're focusing on, um, you know, getting distracted by stuff. Um, but also maybe another story I kind of have is, um, I work with somebody and he's a great storyteller. Like he just, 
can tell a story and make it connect. And a lot of times he'll be talking about a story and he might not mean it to say it in a way, but I'll, you know, I'll take a step back and I'll hear what he said and think about how it applies to stuff. And, you know, one of his stories was, you know, he worked in um, some scientific fields and there was the farmers who he had to communicate to. And then he had like the scientists that he had to communicate to. And there would be a way that you would need to talk to a scientist to make them understand and buy into the the item. And then you would have the farmers who you would convey be conveying the same information, but in a different manner. Because you need the farmers, the ground workers, to understand your concept or your direction. And so you couldn't tell two groups together in the same way. You had to kind of separate them. You had to be able to communicate to the scientists in a scientific way to, for them to understand the more complexity of something to where you, when you went to the farmer, you're like, keep it simple, keep it basic, but still convey the message. Here's the same goal of what we want to work on. And so he had expressed back in his day, he'd, he would do a traveling roadshow and, you know, he'd end up in front of scientists and he'd have to tell them the same speech, but in a little bit different manner. And then he'd go to the farms and tell them the same speech to get them or little bit of a twisted speech to get them to understand the concept of it to get them to buy in and that made me think about the different generations where you can't always approach the same same group the same way or the same team the same way and sometimes you have to have sidebars with people to help them grasp it um, and I think in for me at least in work wise there's times where you know you can tell someone a direction um, and then you can go to somebody else and you're like here's all the details here's the list of stuff we need to do and here's all the 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 steps to get that done because um, they're not self-driven, maybe you would say, but that's kind of a negative context, but they just don't see it the same way. They need a little bit more effort and this other person can just take it and go. And you have those different players on your teams all the time and you got to go figure out who the, who's those people are and how you can share your information and get the message across to get the job done. Yeah. I, you, you talked about concept, yeah, specificity and the details. And, and what I think about is, uh, this is something I actually learned better in jujitsu. Mm -hmm. I understood it a little bit, but but jujitsu helped me much more with this concept versus specificity. Uh, the concept of the guard versus the actual move, the concept of how to get out of side control versus um, doing whichever specific move. And those are things that I, that I think about, like the frame, the bridging, the hip escape, because I always go back to that, like frames, yeah, bridging and hip escaping. I think it's like the base from the bottom. I think it's the base. Mm -hmm. and, and so concept versus specificity, mm -hmm. like how do we frame? How do we bridge? How do we hip escape? You, you want to do a combination of that some way to create space. I guess, I guess you could say maybe the concept is to create space. Mm -hmm. Then the specificity is the frame bridge hip escape, a mm -hmm. loose specificity. Um, and, and, and applying that to the roles in business too. Like when, when I work with, I work with mostly uh, technicians who are doing repair type work. Yeah. And with that, you know, and, and I go out and see what they're doing. And then I do like all the, you know, the financial part of it and then the planning and then the, the project management and, and all of that, those items, but conveying the concept of, of what we're trying to do, like the goal, the mm -hmm. end goal we're looking to do is, is always funny. Did you hear that? What was it? That's the dog snoring, dude. Oh yeah. She's always over here just chilling. I don't know hey, if anyone out there, I don't know if you're going to be able to hear in the background, but on occasion you will have a special visitor and that will be Chloe who is snoring in the background as she's sleeping in the, in, in this little dog bed off to the side. It's hilarious. She's, you know what? Most of the time when I do podcasts, she's around yeah. and just kind of hanging out. Well, yeah, but yeah, she'll, she'll just start snoring. Yeah. It's hilarious. We'll get dude. through it. We'll get through it. We'll, let it, we'll sure. let it bother us. It makes me laugh. Dude. I just hope everybody who's listening to this podcast don't get, they don't think it's you or me, me or you or yeah. get it, you know, annoyed and then yeah. leave the podcast. They're like, we like, can't. We can't control that. Can't control the dog snoring. No, well, I could. I could we move could. Her out. We could. Yeah. But the person listening to the podcast can't. Yeah, so yeah. this is true. Control what you can control. Control what you can control. <laughs> you know. We. I could always take her out, but you know what? She enjoys being in here with oh, us. Leave yeah. her here. But uh, concept versus specificity. Yeah. Explaining the goal of what we're trying to do mm -hmm. versus telling them how to do it. Yeah. And, and oftentimes I go out and say, hey, this is the job. This is the goal that we're trying to accomplish. This is the end result. Here's what we have. Here's what we have today. Here's where we need to be. What 
tools do you need from me to get this done? Yeah. What roadblocks do I need? And I, I hate using the ter- the common terms like yeah. roadblock stuff, but but what what problems are you going to yeah. run into that I need to resolve? Yeah, I think I, I run it. So I, I do. So I start off quality quality and SOPs, and then as of this last last year, started doing project management, kind of like what you're saying. Now I've always had this. You know, I've I've always felt that I've always connected the dots. And when it comes to briefing a team on a project, setting the rules um, and figuring out like, okay, here's the project, here's the task at hand, you know, here's our budget, here's our timeline, team, what do you need? What what are some hindrances? What are some things that you think are gonna you know give you struggle and I, I wrote it that way a lot. Is I don't want to tell you what your problem is going to be. I don't want to tell you. Oh, there it is, Harley again. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mine. 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 Nice. It is nice. Um. Back to the point of explaining a project, um, and connecting the dots. Um, and for me, a lot of times at work, you know, I don't want to tell you what your problem is. I don't even know what your problem is. You, I can't get inside your mind and go, oh, I know you're concerned about stage one. Um, you can communicate, hey, on this project, we've got step one, two, and three. What do you think, what do, what do you think is going to, you know, what's bugging you? Is there anything, any concerns you have about the project that might slow you down or cause you some, some grief, you know, and hopefully the team member can express some stuff and get it out of their mind on paper. I try to write down everything. That's why I got my nice little book. Yeah. But but jot down the notes. Um so you can remember like what what you think's gonna happen. Put it down on paper so that you can then even digest it more. Um and a lot of times, you know, the person will, will answer their own question. Oh, I'm worried about stage one. I'm worried that they're not gonna give me the right settings. Okay, well what do we need to do to, you know, get that squared away? Do I need to get involved? Do I need to let team one know like, hey, you know, we've got the certain timeline. Can we make sure we're taking care of the proper setup? Can we double check the settings um, and apply it? In my world, it's, hey, we need to order stuff. Can we make sure our long lead items are taken care of? Um, can you make sure that, you know, you communicate uh, when things are coming in? If there's any issues with delivery, let us know in advance. So that way, team two can be aware of like, hey, you know, in week one, we're not going to have, you know, the gizmo gadget. Um, we're going to have it week two. So that team could focus on other parts of the project. So that way, when that part does come in, you can install it, get the job done. Um, and sometimes it's like, hey, we can't move forward with the project if Widget 1's not here yet. We got to delay it another week. And then you can let you know the team higher up know, like, hey, we're having, you know, for me, at least in manufacturing, it was, you know, supply chain issues. We can't get this part in time to meet the deadline. Can you let the customer know? And most of the time, if you let the customer know, like, hey, we can't install this. Um, here's the roadblocks we have, or here's the struggles we have. We have to push this back. This is why. A lot of times they understand. Um, sometimes you're able to be uh, innovative and come up with a solution, work with other vendors in my world, or maybe in your world, you know, other technicians who are more experienced of like, hey, we've got this service that needs to get done. You know, team two is not familiar with this, but you've done two or three in the past. Do you think you can step in and help them for a day to keep get them up up to speed? Um, but I think connecting those dots as a project management or even just leadership, um, sometimes it's projects, sometimes it's simple tasks, um, sometimes it's interdepartment communication. And you have to take a step back, and I think, as, like, as management and having you know, a way to detach, have the experience. And it doesn't always work, you know, but at least you can apply some fundamentals of you, know, you focus on communication focus on the bridge, you know, the, the bump, you know, the frames, you know, the, the shrimps, um, the communication, uh, the timelines, you know, all that stuff in management that you have to be mindful of to get the specific specificities um, to get the job done. Um, and then there's those concepts that you follow to get there. But yeah, no, definitely that, that leadership management. And like, I love this stuff. Um, and it's probably easier in the moment, you know, as they were trying to think back on experiences in, in work and whatnot or even in jiu-jitsu but yeah like all those concepts like they're just they're priceless i was uh thinking about the whole scenario there three things came to mind critical versus non-critical solution mm-hmm. versus problem and then designed intention versus what we can do mm-hmm. and and when i think about critical versus non-critical when when i'm when i'm starting a project 
we know like from the beginning when we talk about what the goals that we're trying to achieve are mm-hmm. usually up front we find certain problems that are right. that are going to happen and we have to establish whether they're critical issues or non-critical issues and i kind of put that between like things that are would be nice to do's versus must haves and solutions problems so critical versus non-critical, then solutions and problems. Now, do you ever experience this? And this is where I, I think about myself and my own negativity going into a situation is because I look at projects too and I'm like, sometimes I'm sitting there and I'm going like, what are these people thinking? <laughs> you know, because we all get there sometimes. Oh, right? deadlines? Deadli- deadlines, like total Budgets? projects and themselves. Like yeah. when you look at staffing, you yeah. look at uh, parts availability, you look yeah. at all kinds of different things, right? So I look at solution problem too. Yeah. So can we create a workaround and solution for it, for whatever issue we're coming up to? And also, are we the people that create a problem for every solution? Do, do you know what I'm talking about? With yeah, the, no, the, definitely. The, are yeah. we the, are we the problem solvers? Yeah. Are, are we making it too easy? Are we spoon feeding yeah. Th- that? But also like every time we have a solution or the team has a solution, is there somebody who's coming up and creating another problem to that solution rather than focusing on the mm-hmm. goal? No, I, I think, yeah. you know, you can either be a half full or a half empty kind of person. Yeah, that's that's a... Somebody comes up with a solution and then you get someone who's like, oh, we can't do that because of this. We can't do this because of this. Hey, let's let's just put this on the table. Here's the goal. Here's the target. Let's put our heads together. Let's put our best foot forward and make this happen. Um, and there are people who are negative. Um, and I think one of the positive traits I have, I feel, looking in the mirror, of how I approach things is a half-full kind of person. Um, I lean on the um, balance of trust. I trust people. You know, I don't start with a negative, you know, don't trust people. But I I lean on trust. I lean on positivity. And I'm the quote-unquote go-lucky guy. Because you have to be. If, If you just come to a problem, come to a solution, and it's just like problem after problem after problem, are we gonna do this the easy way or the hard way? Oh, we can't do that because we don't have the manpower. Okay, well, what needs to pivot? Oh, because, you know, Tom and Susie are out this week. Okay, well, what else can we do? Can we pull from somewhere else? Or, you know, you could fight the solution the whole way through. And then I think you we sometimes we know there's those those team players. And we know they're always going to have a negativity. But I think as leadership, extreme ownership, how do I get past that with that person? How do I get them to understand of like, I know you're worried about your labor know you're worried about the time we need to put in this. I know you're worried about the complexity of it, but let's get this done. Let's put our best foot forward. Let's focus on the task at hand and let's make it happen. And sometimes as management, you kind of have to help the team see it from a positive light and, and hear them out. Cause sometimes you just need, they just need to, to express their concern. They need to put their negative spin on stuff and you go, I hear you, you're worried about X, Y, and Z, but we still got to get the job done. Let's buckle through it. I'll support you where I can. And sometimes you just got to pat someone on the back. You got to, you know, give them some encouragement of, you know, halfway through the project. Hey, I know that was a, a struggle week one. looks like we're still on track. We're doing good. Let's just keep the momentum moving forward and keep going. And I think about in jujitsu, a lot of times people get frustrated, um, with their training, they get frustrated with their progressions. Um, and I think as, as higher belts or just any belt, you try to help people get through it. For me, I struggled a little bit and bring this to jujitsu of when I was progressing as a blue belt, I felt like I wasn't, I felt like I was at a plateau. Um, but I feel like it was more because I was training with the same people who were growing with me. And so you kind of take a step back. You're just like, oh, I'm not getting better. You know, you start blaming your exercising, your cardio, you know, your consistency. But really, it's just like you're still going through the motions. Keep showing up. You're going to get better. You know, you're training with these these other people. And, and maybe they're training twice as much as you are, you know, but you don't let the negativity get to you. And I've been in that boat for jujitsu where you're just like, I'm at a plateau. I'm not getting any better. Uh, I'm getting winded more often. But you just got to buckle down and not look at the negatives and continue to just keep moving forward. Also, I'll do this from my own perspective with jujitsu and also at work. I think it kind of works the same when we're problem solving. So when we're going through an issue yeah, and and, 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 and I do this with, with my jujitsu game and I feel like I'm getting stuck or we're not solving a problem, 
what we do is we go back to the fundamentals and the basics of what we're doing. So, so like we start at the, we started at the, at the very beginning of the system and we go, Hey, are the pressures set correctly? Mm-hmm. Is the, is, is there enough water? Is there enough gas? Is there enough, like, is everything mixing properly? And we start at just the fundamentals and the basics. And with jujitsu, when I feel like, man, I'm just on my back and I can't stand up. Mm-hmm. I can't hit a takedown. I can't do these things right now. Okay. Well, if it was day one and I was starting over, what would I do? I would start at the basics. Mm-hmm. Frame, bridge, yeah. hip escape. Or am I engaging my legs? Am I staying flat? Am I staying on my side? These these little things. And, and sometimes you realize, hey, wait. I'm letting my shoulders go flat. Mm-hmm. I am not on my side. I'm missing one of the basics, just like building a house. Yeah. You have to have the foundation. Foundations. Foundation has to be strong. And you've heard me say it a million times. Say it the, one more time. The best do the basics better. All right. I want to jump on that because I, I actually wrote something down. And so let's tag that. Okay. Say it one more time. The best do the basics better. And we'll stop there for a second. Let's take a break. Yeah. And then we'll pick up at the best do the basics better. Hey everyone, this will be a two-part episode. To continue following along with this conversation, please find episode 56 at BJJ Matt Times. BJJ Matt Times.